title of this message is Signs. The purpose of a sign, if you think about it, it's really to communicate information that's designed to assist us in good decision making. I'll give you an example. If you're driving down an unfamiliar road especially, you know, the more familiar the road is, those signs just kind of disappear, don't they? But they're there. But if you're driving down an unfamiliar stretch of road, and you see a sign, and it's warning you to slow down. There's dangerous curves ahead. You ought to slow down and go with the information provided in that sign. If you continue to go down that road, it says, the road says dangerous curves ahead, slow down to 25 miles per hour, and you're doing 75, that can have some catastrophic results. It may not end the way that you want it to end. So if we ignore the sign and we ignore the information that's communicated through the sign, there can be some, some really drastic changes or results. A sign is only helpful if you recognize the information and you observe it. And there are signs all around us today. And when we talk about signs, I'm talking about spiritual signs. There are signs that are giving us information about where we are uh, and where we're going. And unfortunately, I don't think we as a church are really recognizing uh, the spiritual signs, nor are we heeding those signs, and we're just kind of going through life and just doing our own thing. And I want to share an article with you that was recently shared, and believe it or not, this is on CNN, and I know that some of you may feel a certain way about CNN or whatever, but you know, you can find the same garbage on Fox News as well. But anyways, this was shared on uh, CNN's website. It says, for years, uh, church leaders, and this is regarding the declining uh, state of the church in America. For years, church leaders and commentators have warned that Christianity is dying in America. Uh, they say that the American church is poised to follow the path of churches in Western Europe, uh, soaring Gothic cathedrals with empty pews, uh, shuttered churches, church buildings converted into skate parks and nightclubs, and a secularized society where one theologian said Christianity as the norm is probably good for gone for good, or at least for the next hundred years. About 64% of Americans call themselves Christians today. That may sound like a lot, but 50 years ago, that number was 90%. And according to a 2020 Pew Research study, and Pew Research is very respected and reliable, they, the same survey said that the Christian majority in the U.S. may disappear by 2070. The COVID-19 pandemic also hurt the church in America. Church attendance has rebounded recently, but remains slightly below pre-pandemic levels. And I can tell you this, in our district, and I know other districts around us, that is true. Uh, most of the churches have somewhat rebounded from the beginning, but we are still well below pre-pandemic levels. So a recent Gallup poll again showed that uh, another grim number for Christians church membership in the U.S. has fallen below 50% for the first time. In addition, a cascade of headlines in recent years have stained the church's reputation, including um, sexual abuse scandals in the Roman Catholic Church and the Southern Baptist Convention. The spread of white nas Christian white nationalism and the perception that the church oppresses marginalized groups such as LGBTQ people. Now, you can take that information as true or not, um, but I can tell you this, in the eyes of non-Christians, this is the view, okay? And most of, I think, most of the information shared, and, and definitely the statistics are very reliable and accurate. 
And I would conclude also that the church in America is in decline. Uh, God has been giving us warning signs about this for a long time. There's warning signs that the church is heading in the wrong direction. And God's been giving us these warning signs, but I don't think we're taking note of the warning signs. So here's the question. Are we responding to those signs appropriately? And I would argue that we aren't. And here's why. It's pretty easy. If we were, the church wouldn't be in decline. So if we knew that the church was in decline, we're taking the right actions, we'd change our course, then the church wouldn't be in decline. There would be a change. If the church in our nation continues down this path, uh, without some repentance and without rededication, our church and every church is going to look vastly different in 10 years. I believe that with all my heart. Again, I'm not standing up here trying to be gloom and doom. I'm just trying to get us to face a reality. And you can say, well, what does this have to do with Holt Assembly of God? And the answer is it has everything to do with this church. It has everything to do with every church. Because here's the idea. If, if we all have this, this idea or mentality, what does it have to do with our church? This is where we miss the signs. The signs are on the road. We're traveling down the road 75 miles per hour. We're not paying attention to the warnings that are there before us. And every church like ours is like, what does this have to do with us? Are we at the point of no return? No, I don't believe that. I, I believe we are at a very... A just key potential moment, but we have to heed some of the warnings that we're seeing. In this article that I shared about the decline of Christianity, it goes on to say this, church leaders in the U.S. have also fretted <clears throat> about the rise of nuns. These are people who describe themselves as atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. When asked about their religious identity, the ascent of nuns will transform nuns, not nuns like, you know, in the Catholic Church, but none, will transform the country's religious and political perspective, says Tina Ray, a professor of religious and theological studies. About 30% of Americans now call themselves none. They're either agnostic or atheist. Now, locally in our community, I don't think we see decline taking place in that manner. We don't see 30% of our community identifying as agnostic or atheist. However, we are seeing people in our community and in our church and churches throughout our community less devout, less devoted, less committed. And Christianity in our, in our community, if I'm just going to be honest, is not about uh, reality. It's about identity. It's more about this on the outside rather than it is what is on the inside. People talk about their faith in terms of beliefs rather than living them out in a committed lifestyle. The faith in our community seems religious. It has a form of godliness, but it has no power. We believe in a Jesus who could do the miraculous, but personally, we aren't experiencing his life-changing power in our lives. We're not being transformed from glory to glory. We're not being transformed from a a older version to a better, newer version of or who we are or who Jesus is trying to create us to be. We just kind of get stuck. Listen to what Jesus shared with his disciples concerning the, the end times, signs of the end. Matthew 24, I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Hang with me. I'm going to start in verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another, and that they shall, not be, shall, shall they not be thrown down. He's talking about the temple. Of course, we know this. This is in about approximately 33 AD. And just a couple of decades later, 70 AD, that building completely destroyed. Not one stone is left. 
You can say, what about the Jews at the Western Wall? It's a retaining wall. It's not the temple. Uh, the retaining wall is what held up the temple courts. And the, the temple is built on top of the temple courts. Where the Jews pray today at the Western Wall is just a, it's a landscaping wall, for lack of a better term. So there's not one stone of that temple that is left. So Jesus' words came true just in a few short decades. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, uh, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, he answers those two. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. All these are simply, in another translation, birth pains. They will deliver you out to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, Jesus characterizes this time as a time of deception. He also says there's wars and rumors of wars. Uh, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. If you look at the original word, ethnos against ethnos, civil and, 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 uh, uh, civil and ethnic unrest. Jesus said there will be famines, pestilence, natural disasters in various places. People will be easily offended, and this will result in betrayal and hatred. Jesus said there would be an increase of false prophets, people proclaiming to speak on behalf of God, but not speaking on the behalf of God, just their own agendas. Jesus reminds us these signs are warnings. They are not the end. The end is yet to come. These are simply birth pains, the beginning of sorrows. The, near, the end is near. These signs are indicating. They're warning signs that are saying, hey, something bad is about ready to take place. So here's the question. Are we seeing these signs occur in our own time? And are they happening with greater frequency and intensity? I think that that's one perspective. And the perspective Jesus shared is vital. I'm not discounting that. But, you know, throughout the scripture, especially through the Apostle Paul, there's a, that perspective is kind of built upon. It gives us an even more clear picture of what that time looks like. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. And this is Paul's last letter. He's, he's in prison. He's about ready to be uh, 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 killed for his faith. He's going to be martyred. And he writes these words to Timothy, his, his, his spiritual protege, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And then he begins to describe, this is what it's going to look like. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, they're religious, they go to church, but denying its power and from such people turn away. Are we seeing these signs occur 
with frequency and ferocity. Let's do this. Let's just go back to the 1950s. Let's say, I know there's a few of you here that can go back to that time. Compare our daily, the daily life of the average American today to the daily life of the average American in 1950. Think of the culture and think of the culture today. I want you to get that in your mind. And while we can see those sins have been evident, have been in mankind since the beginning, but they didn't, they didn't shape and form the culture. See, today, what we view as tolerable and acceptable would have been totally unacceptable in that time. The spiritual and moral GPS of our nation has acquired a new north. It's not pointing in the right direction. It's pointing in the wrong direction, and we head down that road. We're not paying attention to the signs saying, turn, turn. This is the wrong way. But the church keeps on going the wrong way. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God, meaning us, with idols? You are the temple of the living God. Are we not a temple of the living God? The Holy Spirit dwells in us? As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Well, this is definitely applying to us. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. God has called us out from this world. But the church, along with the world, is heading in the opposite direction. God is sending the church warning sign after warning sign. The Holy Spirit is pleading with us, turn around, go the right direction. But we're ignoring the signs. And here's why, because we think the signs are for someone else. We see the signs, but we don't think the signs have anything to do with us. We think that it has everything to do with the world. And we're misinterpreting the signs. The signs are for us. You know, the pandemic did something really interesting. And now, whether you believe that the pandemic was as devastating as it was or not, that, that's neither here nor there. The effect that the pandemic had on our psyche, our thinking, the way we do things, isn't it amazing how, um, how quickly things just turned? Just real quick. Real or not, it doesn't matter. But it just shows you how things in our nation can just turn on a dime. And while that could be good, that could be very, very scary. The pandemic exposed that the church is not as committed as it appeared to be. The church is very surface level. Our faith is not deep. Our, our faith is on the circle. We have a surface. We have a, a form of godliness, but no power. American Christians, we have a false sense of security. Here's what I mean by that. We're the world's largest superpower. We're the top economic powerhouse. We're, we're the, the world leader. There's no doubt about that. So we think that uh, we're safe. If America's safe, the world's safe. That's a false sense of security. I don't know what part of world history we have left out, but we better look back at world empires who had control and power like we did, how quickly they are no longer in existence today. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1 says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And this is Paul writing to this church in particular. For you yourselves know that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, the sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so this day should not overtake you as a thief. 
Now, see, I think that we are prepared here, but we're not prepared here. If Jesus would return right now, we are prepared theologically, but we are not in the place where we ought to be, morally, spiritually. We don't believe there's a credible threat to our nation. And I say this with very, very confidently, and that's based on the behavior of the church. How many of you really believe, I'm going to ask you to participate, so if you don't mind, raise your hand. If you don't believe this, that's fine. I respect that. How many of you really believe that we're living at the end of the church age? Jesus is coming soon. Raise your hand. Seriously. What does the Bible say? If we truly believe that, we truly confess that, we truly believe that Jesus can come at any time. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and more, and more, so much more, as you see the day approaching. Now, if we really believe that Jesus is coming soon, and the signs are pointing to that, why aren't people just consistent with attending church for crying out loud, not a, let alone anything else? Why is it such a, why is it such a crapshoot when it comes to church attendance? If we truly believe Jesus is coming, where's the proof's in the pudding? See, we have it here, but we don't have it here. I remember when uh, Jenny was, was pregnant with Ella and she went to the doctor I believe it was the day of, or the day before, actually, because Ella was born very early the next day, but it was the day before her due date, and Ella was born on her due date. But she went to the doctor, and the doctor gave the examination, and he said, I'll see you soon. I expect to see you very soon. And I remember Jenny returned home that day. Everything was fine. She was feeling fine. She goes, well, the doctor says he'll, he expects to see us soon. I said, all right. And at that time, we, we lived in uh, a smaller town, and uh, we lived out in the country. We lived about an hour from the hospital, if not a little bit more. And at the same time, we, we had a, a Ford uh, Expedition, an SUV, and the thing just was a pain in our butt. It was always in the shop. The people who had it, we thought they were in our church. They had it in the shop enough that everything was fixed, but we found more things that were wrong with it. It was just in the shop. It was like a, it was like a, just a money pit. So back in those days, uh, you didn't have Facebook and you didn't have Craigslist. So you did two things, right? You listed your vehicle in the newspaper or you found yourself a good location and you put a sign on it, right? So where we lived was not a good location. We had people in our church that lived on the main road through town. So we decided, hey, can we park our car there, put a four cell sign? They said, sure, no problem. I remember <clears throat> that afternoon when, after Jenny got home, uh, from the doctor's appointment, I had a phone call and someone wanted, was interested in the car. So it's about a 20 minute drive into town and I spent about 30 minutes there with the guy. The guy liked the car, he goes, hey, listen, I'll come back tomorrow, we'll seal the deal, give you the money, give me the title. So that's fine. So I was there maybe 30 minutes top, drove back another 20 minutes and I just remember opening the back door of our house and I just heard, oh! And Jenny's laying over the counter I said, are you all right? She goes, my water broke. I said, okay. So I said, uh, how, how far are the contractions apart? I don't know. I just hurt. I said, okay, I'm going to jump in the shower real quick. And she had the things ready. I had, I had been working on a car too at the same time. I just hadn't cleaned up. I, was, I, needed, I knew it was bad, so I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't want to go dirty. And so I said, give me just a few minutes. I'll just, she goes, I, I don't care. So I get in the shower and before I'm done, I hear, oh, I remembered the timing. I was like, the doctor said 
the distance you live at to being the second baby, you need to really be on the road when they're seven minutes apart. You shouldn't really risk it. And that was not seven minutes. And I was like, oh man, you know, so we sped up the process. Um, we had to drive about 45, 50 minutes to my parents' house, drop off Peyton. Then the hospital was about another 10 minutes. Needless to say, we got there, wasn't long. Uh, Jenny had the epidural in her. She was ready to go and, and Ella was born. Uh, and so just went from peace to birth in a matter of hours. And I'm just saying the doctor saw the signs. He knew signs were saying imminent birth. We didn't take the signs as seriously because he didn't say, hey, probably in the next 12 hours, you're going to be back here. He didn't say that. If he said that, I wouldn't have went and showed the car. You know, we wouldn't be so relaxed. But he saw the imminence in the birth. We, didn't, we saw the signs, but we didn't understand the imminence of those signs, the warnings. And likewise, the church isn't seeing the imminence of the signs that are occurring around us. You know, there's, give you an example. And when I start this, please, this is not, this is, just hang with me, okay, with this. This is just an example. I, I was doing some studying for this message and uh, for another future series, and I decided to look up the, I saw this debate between a group of Christians and non-Christians about the, the word and the idea of gender. Okay, so I decided I'm going to look up the word gender. And if you have an iOS, you know, a Mac a device or an Apple device, you know, you can go right to your, your dictionary. And I thought I'm just going to use this one. And gender means the male sex or the female sex, especially considered with references to social or cultural differences, rather than biological ones, or one of a range of other identities that do not correspond to the established idea of male or female. This is straight out of the dictionary. They all went, Webster's, New Cambridge, all of them have, has changed the definition. And so I, I'm old school. I decided to go to my 1993 Webster's Dictionary and just see what the definition was. It's very small. Here it is. Sex, male or female. Difference in words to express distinction of sex, period. That's it. That's all you get from this, because that's what it meant. And if you go back to, you know how you look at the archaic beginnings of the word? It comes from genre, from the French. And again, I'm not on some tirade against gender. I'm just saying that, that this is just the sign we're seeing. I remember 20 years ago hearing pastors, I thought they were nuts, um, warning us of a day when sexuality would be redefined. Our culture is heading down the wrong direction. So today, we argue that a male born with a Y chromosome isn't really a male. Not if they decide they're not a male. And if a female who is born with an X chromosome, if she wants to consider herself he, him, or anything else, that's fine. Ironically, we use the term during the pandemic, and still you hear it, follow the science. But the science says, in this case, genetically speaking, what the truth is. But it goes to show this, that science is only true as long as it proves an agenda. And unfortunately, that's where we are. Again, I'm not on some crusade. I'm just using a current headline, a one that has cultural, moral, and I believe spiritual significance and shows the shifts in our nation so rapidly. And I, I went back to kind of find out when did this change? And really over the last five years, this has changed. 
The, the evolution of the word gender has changed in five years. Rapid shifts. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Every person is without excuse in regards to sin. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Profess to be wise. Boy, if this is ever a statement that could really define where we are culturally. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the incorruptible God into images made like corruptible men, like birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. We worship animals today. We have an unhealthy fascination with animals who exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature. And that's what we're doing rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them, for this reason, for those what I just, we just talked about, God gave them up to vile passions, given the culture up to their vile passions. For even women exchange the natural use for what is against the nature. And likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of their heir, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. If, you, if we as a culture continue to go down a path of degradation, God will give us over to that. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strike, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Written to the church, by the way. Romans is not written to non-Christians, it's written to Christians. And if you read it from that perspective, you catch some words that really stand out knowing the righteous judgment of God and that those who practice such things deserve death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is the direction of the church. This is another accurate picture of our culture. The culture has crept into our church. The culture has oozed into our homes. When wrong is embraced as right and right is embraced as wrong, the wrath of God will visit that people. And you'll say, well, I thought God was God of love. That's true, but God is holy. Those are immutable perspectives, are immutable parts of his personality. It's who he is. God is merciful, but God is just. You can't separate those two qualities. He's both. God is immutable means he doesn't change. So you can't say, well, God is holy, but God is not love, or vice versa. Or God is full of grace, but he's not full of wrath. First Peter says this, verses one, or chapter 1, verses 14. 
In 16, uh, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, again, writing to the church, but as he who called you is holy, you also, we should be holy in all of our conduct, not just some, not just Sunday mornings, all of our conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I'm looking at the church and I'm, I'm really shocked at our indifference towards sin. Here, here's why, we're becoming neutral to sin. We gotta be very careful of this. Please hear me. And this is, I even feel myself slipping down this sometimes. I'm looking at the church and I'm shocked at our indifference. And here's what I mean. We've come neutral and here's why. We bought into this PC garbage. Please hear me. And that's not a political statement either. It is just the culture of the world. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to offend people who were trying to win to Jesus. It sounds logical, doesn't it? But wisdom in our eyes is different than the eyes of God. We think we can somehow package the gospel up to be a little bit more cleaner, a little bit more sanitary, and it's more acceptable, people will receive it, and we can just kind of sneak them into heaven. That isn't going to work. They must repent of their sins. We become neutral towards sins because we don't want to offend anyone, but Jesus never was neutral. Never. You can't find it neutral towards sin. And what we do is we spiritualize all this hypocrisy. We say this, we don't want to offend people we're trying to reach for Jesus, but then we never do anything personally to reach those people. And then we say, oh, the church should be doing this. No, personally, you have interaction with people who sin. And if you don't want to offend them personally, what are you doing to reach them? Why is it my job to reach people in your life that I never see? We aren't worried about wars and rumors of wars. We aren't worried about pestilence. We aren't worried about famine. We aren't worried about persecution. We aren't worried about people going to hell. Here's what we're worried about. Who's going to be our next president? What about the economy? What about inflation? We're worried about Hunter Biden's taxes. We're worried about his private parts on a laptop. Seriously, we are. We have no concern for our nation that's affected by sin. Does that stuff matter? Sure. But it doesn't matter when we're talking about souls. Our behavior doesn't match our rhetoric one iota. Deep down, as Americans, we believe that Christ is coming, but we'll be okay. This place, and pardon my French, he will take us out of this place before it becomes a hellhole. That's our thinking, and that's a false premonition. But pastor, the Bible says God has not appointed us unto wrath, like somehow us Christians in America are somehow the subject of that, that word. The signs themselves are devastating the signs we're seeing aren't the wrath. The wrath is still to come. What we're just seeing here are birth pains. God doesn't want us to suffer wrath. I, I believe that. I preach that. But God will not remove us from wrath if we will not separate from the world. If we, will not, if we choose the world rather than his presence and his kingdom, we will be like Lot's wife. Where he's trying to get us out of Sodom and we just keep looking back because our hearts are in the world. Let me, let me put it this way. The world's largest consumer of alcohol is the United States of America, not even close. The world's largest consumer of narcotics, illegal or legal, by far is the United States of America. The world's largest producer of pornography is the United States of America. The world's largest consumer of pornography is the United States of America. The USA is number three in abortions. You say, well, we got them there. It's not, it's not good. Because number one and number two are China and India. 
four billion people in each of those nations. We have 300 million, and we rival them in abortion. Still. Now, here's what I really want you to think about. We only think about this from our perspective. I want you to, if you can, if we can, kind of rise up just a little bit, get a heavenly perspective, try to get God's perspective of our behavior in our nation. We think of nations that are evil, such as Iran, Russia, China, North Korea. But what does God see when he looks at our nation and just those statistics, that's just a, a brief kind of picture, snapshot of our morality. What does he see in a nation that proclaims to serve God, to be a nation under God? But yet we are the leader in all kinds of moral filth and hypocrisy. I'm telling you, we're blind to the signs. This may not be a PC nationalistic message. This may not be a PC liberal message. And Jesus ticked both those groups off in his day. He ticked off the liberals and he ticked off the conservative and he ticked off the nationalists, which were zealots. All of them called for his death. We can look at the word of God honestly and deal with our problems with humility or we can hide our heads in the religious sand and just ignore the signs. If you're driving down a road and you see a sign indicating you're going in the wrong direction, then you need to turn around because you're not going to get to your destination. If you're driving down the road and the sign tells you to reduce your speed, danger is ahead, you should reduce your speed. Signs give us information. It tells us what's ahead of us. We can't see the dangers. It's trying to communicate the danger. And God has given us warning signs about the dangers that are ahead of us. And we are blind to them. Our nation is going to become better, we think. It's just going to get better one day. Our nation isn't going to become better without us. The nation is only going to change if the church changes. See, we want to look at the world and say, man, the world's just going to hell. It's gone crazy. It's, it's, it's becoming the hellhole that I, we feared it would be. Well, stinks to be them. I'm going to heaven. The reason the nation is driving out of control is because the church has gone the wrong direction. See, repentance is a change of heart, change of mind that results in a change of direction. Jesus asked this, if, the, if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing, and it should be thrown out and just trampled underfoot by men. The church is the salt of the earth. Salt is a preservative. The Holy Spirit in us and through us, we, that acts as the moral and spiritual preservative in our nation. If the church isn't preserving the moral and spiritual direction of the nation, the nation will face dangerous times. I preach, and I preach repentance, and I make no excuses for that. And I'm going to continue to preach repentance. Here's why. John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Paul preached repentance. Peter preached repentance. Repentance is the message of the church. But I'm concerned that repentance is not being received or taken to heart. True repentance moves a person closer to God. And I think this is what we think repentance is. Well, the pastor made me sad today, and I feel bad about my sin, so I'm sorry, God. But that's not repentance. That's sorrow, which can help in the process. But repentance is really about, this is enough in my life. I'm to this point, I feel conviction that I'm not doing the right thing, and I need to stop. I need to go, the sign says, stop, go the other direction, and I need to stop, and I'm going in the other direction. That's repentance. 
And I'm just pleading with you honestly to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And I'm really begging you to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart and to respond to that faithfully. Not to me, but to him. And if you don't see the signs that I'm praying, that, then I'm praying you see the signs, that you see the dangers, and you see how complicit we are as the church. 